Okay, we'll begin. We're on 17b, two lines from the bottom. Um, we be, we're going to go back and forth uh, between the real Ksuvas things, talking about a woman getting married, um, which are real monetary laws. Basically, she's suing the husband, and he's claiming he doesn't know that much. Uh, once we get into that territory, we're really open game for monetary cases where people are suing each other. Uh, really, we'll get into that in the Bubba's. That's the, when we get to Bubba Kama, Bubba Metziah. But the, this Gomorrah, because Ksuva has a money component, um, and specifically the rabbis did the money component because they didn't want somebody to pick women up and dump them. They made it very expensive uh, to dump them. You've got to pay a ksuva. Women shouldn't be left without support. Um, so it ends up being cases where he says, she says. And uh, the Gemara now is going to... And we started off a case where they didn't actually have the ksuva anymore. Uh, they didn't hold on to a lot of documents. Uh, sometimes it wasn't uh, so safe to hold on, and sometimes the weather didn't allow documents to be saved. And so the question it really is dealing, what do you do in a society that doesn't have a written deed? Like, how do you prove things? So that's kind of what we jumped into. Uh, the other part that we did is we said that sometimes a litigant is believed because of a concept of pesha usher. They seem to be telling the truth. Uh, if they were really a liar, there were other things that they could have told a better lie. It's interesting. It, it almost sounds like a lawyer. That's what a lawyer's for, is to tell you the best way to lie, right? That's the... Oh, I, I'm sorry about that, Steve. But uh, that's the... Uh, but th that seems to be the concept. Oh, he's not on yet. Uh, um, we're talking about a, uh, the reason we tend to believe a person is because if he was a liar, he could have told a better lie. And it sometimes will believe a person from uh, the fact that his testimony seems to indicate he's telling the truth because he's, he's not saying the testimony that gives it all to him. And that was called a pesha usher. And we're going to... Isn't that the same, the same concept as a miku? So it's debatable. Uh, that's a good question. That's one of the things they talk about, if that is the same as amigo. Many people say it is. Uh, that's the same as the concept of sense. And uh, we threw on that case uh, to our Mishnah. We had, um, if a woman comes to us and says she wants to marry a Kohen, we would say, fine, go marry a Kohen. We would do the wedding. But what if she says, uh, well, I was married before. Uh, so then all of a sudden that creates a doubt. Uh, well, if we knew she was married before, we're not going to let her marry a Kohen uh, unless she would be able to prove the person she was married to uh, was, um, well, she has to be that she's not divorced and it has to be that uh, it's, she wasn't married to a non-Jew. But uh, if what happens if we didn't know she was married before and she comes fully honest and says, well, I want to have full disclosure, I was married, but he died, or he, he was Kohen eligible. So we would believe her because of Pesha Asr. Then uh, we got into a case um, where the woman was pregnant. Now, if a woman comes in front of us and pregnant and wants to marry a Kohen, we'll say to her, wait a second, we know you had relations with someone. That's what we call shor shachot lefanecha meaning that you're not telling us something we don't know. 
uh, and that in those cases there was no Pesha Asr. Um, but we threw on a case in the Mishnah here, nothing to do with a woman. Uh, the last case was a case where somebody is sitting on land, and he's been living there many years and harvesting that crop. And we tend to think if nobody kicked him off and nobody said, what are you doing on my land, <coughs> that uh, we, uh, if a person is sitting on land for three years and harvesting a crop, that's an important word, harvesting a crop, because... Typically, people don't allow somebody else to farm their land uh, without any kind of penalty or paying up. So he's there and he's harvesting a crop. We would tend to believe the person there, again, in a society where they didn't have deeds and things weren't registered, uh, that he's the owner because he's harvested three years' worth of crops. And so uh, what happens if the person comes and says, uh, you should know this was not always my land. I bought it from this guy's father. Uh, so this guy didn't even know it was his father's land. And he said, oh, it was my father's land, you should get out. My father would have never sold it to you. <laughs> so now we have a fight. So uh, that, if, let's, if we just go back for a minute to Tesva Vamid Beis, 15b, at the end of the Mishnah, that was the case. Umoda Reb Yeshua, Reb Yeshua didn't like this concept of we, if he's a liar, he could have told a better lie. Uh, and therefore, let's believe him. But he did, uh, in the case of the woman, he didn't accept that necessarily for different reasons. We also had that case where she wasn't a virgin and she could have claimed that she had a physical accident. But um, in, the, in the case where Rabbi Shua does accept it is where the guy's living on the land and um, for many years and nobody's kicking him off. And uh, he comes to court and he says, I, I want the court to know that originally this belonged to my neighbor's father, but I bought it from him. And so he said, uh, even if the neighbor says, well, my father wouldn't have sold it to the likes of you, you admit it's my father's, get off. So in that case, we believe him because of Pesha Usr. That's what Rabbi Huda said. Now, if it turns out there are witnesses that it belonged to his dad, and uh, then we're, we're going to call this guy a squatter and kick him out. So... That was the area, the case that we're dealing with right now. So our question is, typically we believe a squatter if he's there three years and it's quiet. Uh, the owner didn't, uh, we expect the owner either to kick him out or to go to Basin and say, you should know somebody's squatting on my land. And so the question was, um, usually if you uh, make... If the squatter knew that somebody was contesting his ownership, he would have saved witnesses. He would have saved the original receipts. But because so many years went by, it's reasonable for him not to have saved it. So our question was, is, was he expected to know about a complaint that was waged against him, in it, let's say, in a different state or a different part of the country? So that's what the Gemara jumped into. That's kind of the... It's a little bit complicated, but that's where the case is right now. So, Omrev Abba Bar two lines from the bottom on Yud Zayin 17b. So, our question is shouldn't we, uh, why should the buyer, the person who's living on the land, need to prove anything? He's, he's been there many years, and um, uh, the owner didn't say anything. And uh, the question is, well, the owner uh, perhaps wasn't in that city, wasn't in that neighborhood, and had he made a complaint, 
the buyer wouldn't have known, wouldn't have heard about it. So he's required to kind of serve in papers where he is. So the question is, uh, if you make a complaint and it's not going to get to the buyer, why would that be a good complaint? Um, uh, the, uh, the buyer would have never been served those papers. So the Mora has an interesting svara. Uh, let's see the Rashi on that. Three lines from the bottom. Havi mecha, the chavre chavre isle. You know, one person tells another. News spreads fast. And so even if he doesn't serve him in that city, usually we would say the buyer should never have gotten rid of if the owner can prove that he went to a court somewhere within those three years and said, you know, I heard someone sitting on my land, uh, that uh, then the buyer will not be able to establish ownership just by virtue of the fact that he's living there. So we would say to the buyer, you should have saved any documentation, you should have saved witnesses, because you should have known that somebody was complaining. So what the Gemara is going to say is, it really depends. There were certain times where different cities were at war with each other. And when they were at war with each other, they didn't communicate from one city to another. Communications didn't pass. So he wants to say, really, had there been peacetime, if somebody registered a complaint in one county, in the other county, uh, they would have had to save all their papers and we would have assumed uh, that uh, the, uh, the buyer would not be able to prove anything by, um, he's not able to claim, I didn't hold on to my documents. But our Mishnah is speaking Bishashkerim. It was speaking in a time of war where people didn't travel from one area to another. And why did we mention being in Yehuda and the Galilee? As we turn to today's page, so the Gemara answers this time, Yehuda v'galu k'shashkerim dami. Generally speaking, one territory uh, was so separate from the other that the communications didn't travel between the two. And so if the, if the person who's squatting were to say to him, well, there was a registered court appeal uh, during the middle of while you were on the land and you should have held on to all your documents and we're going to throw you out, He's going to say, I had no idea what was going on. The court was in the Galilee, and I'm, I'm over here in Yehuda. So what we're saying is, is that it's a reasonable complaint in those times that he never heard of the Machah, and therefore he didn't save his documents. Normally, if you don't hold on to your receipt, you can't prove it's yours. But over here, we're saying that's reasonable. Okay, fine. Now the Gemara is going to continue to ask on this case uh, that we threw out that we could have found a more simple case. Belisni, let's learn a case. Again, we said a case was that somebody was living on a piece of land and he came to the basin and said, well, the original owner was my neighbor's dad, or, and, uh, but I bought it from him. So, uh, and we said that um, in the case where we didn't even know that there, the, who the original owner was, and he told us we tend to believe him, especially since he's been there these past few years. I have a listening motor of Yeshua, but Omer Lechabero. Why don't we learn Rabbi Yeshua's case? We, uh, why do we have to talk about land at all? What about if um, nobody's suing this guy, nobody's demanding that he pay up, and he comes and says, you know, I borrowed money from this guy, but uh, but I paid up. So you know, if we had, if he, uh, if if the other guy had a, had an IOU from him, he'd have to pay it. The other guy didn't have an IOU, and so now he admits he borrowed, and he says he paid. And the neighbor says, "You admit you borrowed? I never got the money, so uh, you still owe me." 
So in this case, we believe him uh, because he's a truthful guy. The other, the neighbor wasn't even suing him. The neighbor had no IOU, and he comes along and says, "I want everybody to know I did borrow from that guy. I borrowed from this person, this bank or this uh, entity, but I paid up a long time ago." Right. So in that case, we believe him because we didn't know he borrowed. So we, if we want to say pesha usher, that's like the perfect pesha usher, but this is by a, a case of movables. It's by a case, uh, not a case of land, just money. <laughs> Suppose that there's a, a valid reason for why the person is, is admitting that he had a previous loan. Suppose he wants to establish his credit rating. He says, look, I'm a good, I'm a good risk. I borrowed from, from you before and I paid back, so let me borrow again. Um, then, there's, then, then he's got an ulterior motive. Um, do we necessarily apply the same, the same logic? That's an interesting question. I'd have to think about that. Um, the, the, it, the, the question, though, is the ulterior motive doesn't necessarily affect this loan. Um, it's just it, it's a side issue that he wants to establish credit. Uh, That's correct, but nevertheless, yeah. there's a benefit for <laughs> yeah. admitting, admitting previous liability. The truth is, we said, if you remember by the case of the woman, where we said that uh, she didn't have to admit that she had relations with a man, but she said it was forced, she could have said she had the wood accident. We, we were talking about whether there, there would be a particular reason why she would choose a certain claim over another. Uh, so I imagine that would go into our discussion. That's correct. Okay. Um, so why didn't we pick this case? Very simple case. A person wants to admit that they borrowed money. and there's no, no one has any documents anymore. And they come and they say, oh, yeah, I borrowed lots of money from them, but I paid up a long time ago. So we would believe them because we didn't even know about the debt. So uh, so the more says, that case in the second part says, if there are witnesses that he borrowed, who Omar and he says he paid, then he's not believed. Um, and what would this come to teach you? So there is a question like this. If you, uh, if you there was a loan, Shouldn't you have to prove you paid back? Shouldn't you have to get the payback witnessed? So sometimes you can just tear up the loan. But are you required to have witnesses that you paid back the loan? So it really depends on the local custom whether you have to have witnesses. If you, if you borrow the money with witnesses, you don't have to pay back with witnesses. Now, you would want witnesses, but what happens if you trust the guy? If you want to show that you trust him and you just give him the money back and you don't have witnesses? Do we blame you or not? So maybe um, um, would we have wanted to? Um, um, so that case, um, that case is is a is a is a whole debate, and so maybe we didn't want to go into. Well, maybe we could have uh, said that case, or Velisni, or let's learn a different case. Modi Rabbi Shu of Amul Chaveru, Rabbi would admit if a person says to his friend, Manalevicha biyadi. I borrowed money from your dad, uh, and I paid back part of it. So now he's saying, in effect, that I owe your estate some money. So there, um, our question is, he's admitting, we, we didn't even know you owed, owed the estate money. So he's an honest guy. But on the other hand, he's, he's saying, I really owed a lot of money, and I paid some of it back. So now we're suspicious. So over here, why don't we list that case? So the more I said, that case actually jumps into a whole new area. 
and that is that um, sometimes a person is worried that sooner or later we're going to find out that he owed money to the guy's dad. This, I mean, it's a terrible thing, but when people pass away, a lot of times other people don't know their business. They don't know who they owed money to, who borrowed money from them. And so they're always worried that uh, some, we'll find a, a document that he owes the money. So he wants to establish that he paid some of it back. But he didn't want to deny all of it. So the question is, do we say he's an honest guy? Or do we say he was just protecting himself because he knew sooner or later we were going to find out that he owed some? So that's what Gemara wants to get. Eat the Rabban and the Rabban and say, They say he's like somebody who returns a lost object. Someone shows up and says, um, I, I found this item that, and uh, I saw you drop money, here it is. So we say, this guy is very honest. If we're going to make him swear, it's a famous case where somebody returns a person's wallet and half the cash is missing. So uh, do you want to make him take the witness stand that he didn't steal the rest of the cash? Or do you say, this guy is honest as could be, he returned my wallet, he didn't have to return anything. So this is what's um, we we're, we're kind of this is called admitting part. He's saying, well, I I, um, I I gave you back part. Are we? Does that make him suspicious on the rest, or do we say what's called meshiv aveda that um, he's returning money that he didn't have to return? So we have to believe this guy. And if we make it difficult for him, we're going to make him swear that nobody's going to return a wallet because uh, someone's always going to say there was more cash in there. Uh, so uh, that's going to be the question. So the Rabbanan, they say, Meshavaveda. Or if it's like Rebbe Lars ben Yaakov. And again, these are other Gemaras that we're jumping into where they talk in great length about these ideas. He said, Shua boy. He says, you have to swear. The Tanya, like we learned, right in the middle of the page. Sometimes you get yourself into trouble. You say something, and we're going to make you take an oath. What, what is the case? Uh, he says, I'll admit I borrowed money from your dad. I got your dad's money, but I did pay some of it back. So in that case, we make you swear. Uh, we say, um, you, you caused yourself, nobody's claiming you, the, the state didn't know you owed money. We get suspicious. Once somebody, once it's established that he owed money, uh, we need the person to come clean. It's, it's not the kid's fault that he didn't know how much money was owed his dad estate. And uh, this person is, just wants to make the claim that he paid some of it back. Well, bring the proof. So we make him swear. They say, no, he says, no, if a person is honest and he tells us something we didn't know, that's like, that's like returning a lost object. So uh, this, uh, why didn't we step into that case? The answer to Lazar and Yaakov Leslie Meshav Pater. He doesn't say that that's called returning a lost object and you're exempt. We're going to see this far in a minute, really. Amarat betainu katan. So the um, the case is that uh, the 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 kids of the person make the claim. So the Gemara said, Usually you don't have to swear if a minor makes you swear. So the minor makes the claim. What does the kid know? Kids, they, you know, they, they have no belief. So the Gemara said, My cut and guttle. Really, we mean he's an adult. So why are we calling him a cut? His father's business, he was a cut. He was always a kid. You know, when the father runs the business, he doesn't tell the kids everything. 
I think I remember that was the whole issue with Madoff. Um, that was the guy that ripped off all the people with the fake stocks and stuff. And so the question was, were his kids in on the deal? So they claimed uh, that they weren't. They, the interesting thing was they committed suicide later because um, they were so ashamed of what their dad did. But basically the kids uh, didn't, they, at least the, it seemed like they didn't know what their business of their dad was. A lot of times that's where the parents, they don't, uh, they don't tell their kids their money issues. So the Mora says, So if that's true, that the kid is claiming the guy owes money, so it's really someone else's claim. So the Mora said, But he, he admitted it's true. So the Mora said, well, all, all these cases are where someone else makes a claim, uh, and uh, even if it's the Beisden, and he's admitting. This is the real issue over here. It's the issue of Rabbah, and it's what's called Moda b'mixas, where a person admits a little bit. And it has to do with psychology. Uh, the rule is, if, if someone says you owe money, and you say you don't, you don't have to swear. It's your word against his. That's called, uh, um, that's a, a person is kofr bakula. A person is, is it's my, you say I owe you, I say, don't, I don't have to swear. But what happens if you say I owe money, and I say, well, maybe a little bit, but not the whole thing. So there we make you swear, because that's called motive amixas. Why does the Torah say where you admit you owe part that you have to swear? We have a rule. This guy loaned you money. This guy gave you, and in those, you know, it's a mitzvah for you to not charge interest. He loaned you money. He did you a favor. He extended himself. He gave you money, and you're going to look him in the eye and say, who are you? Nobody, Jews didn't have chutzpah in those days to do that. We all know that we showed him that said, already in his time, people did have the chutzpah to do it. <laughs> that, uh, um, there used to be a thing where a person would have, bring the other guy to court and say, say it to my face. Look me in the eye and lie to me. Nobody would ever do that. Um, you don't hear that today anymore because, unfortunately, People, they look somebody in the eye and they lie to them, straight to their face. They lie to their, like it's brazen, like it's, um, it's still a little shocking, but it shouldn't be, unfortunately, that uh, people, their word doesn't mean that. You have politicians that, uh, you know, you show them on the video that they said yesterday something else, and they, well, I'm walking back those comments or something, I don't know. But uh, usually, in, in times of Chazal, a person would not have had the chutzpah to look a person in the eye and say, I didn't uh, borrow money from him. But, on the other hand, you don't want him bugging you to pay. So, sometimes a person would say, yeah, I paid you a little bit, leave me alone. Vahaikulu boy, delikfra. And really, I, he would rather say, I don't owe you anything. Vahaikulu, why doesn't he deny the whole thing? As we turn the page. Ulakulu boy, delodile. So then, if he can't deny the whole thing, so he should just come court. The guy was nice to me, he loaned me money. Why doesn't he admit it? He wants the guy to get off his case and said, well, I paid something. person wants to make some kind of claim. He wants to say something. He needs to say something. And he's thinking, well, what do you mean? How can he say I paid if he didn't? He's thinking, when I get, you know, when I get rich, when I get payday, then I'll pay him back. I just don't want him to bother me for it. Of a Rahmana Omar, and the Torah said, You're not allowed to do that. 
you can't, it, it's the fact that you don't want to have somebody pushing you to pay and you don't want the pressure. Well, I'm sorry, don't borrow the money. If you borrow the money, you have to deal with the pressure. You can't lie and say, well, I paid you back, I don't really owe you. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, right now I really uh, um, don't want to pay it back because I need the money for other things. There'll be some future time when I'm... See, that's what a lot of uh, bad guys say is they say, well, you know, maybe later I'll fix this. Maybe later I'll pay back. So the Torah puts an oath on him, that he'll admit it He says it doesn't make a difference whether he borrowed the money from him or from the kid. He's not going to be in denial. It's not called that he was being honest and he didn't have to. People, uh, or in those days, people couldn't, somebody loaned the money, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't have the chutzpah to be in denial. Rabban and Sabar, the person who loaned him the money, he won't look him in the eye and say, you never loaned me the money or I paid you back. Albuvino, but the person's kid, he will have the chutzpah. And since he didn't have the chutzpah, um, uh, he, he admitted that he owed, so then it's like he returned something. So we're getting into a complicated question when we can believe somebody uh, because he didn't have to say anything or when we're going to make him swear, which was a big deal to take an oath with Hashem's name because um, we assume maybe he's hiding something. So that seems to be the question. But this assumes that people feel pressure to admit something. And that's an interesting question. In their time, people didn't have the chutzpah to totally say, I don't owe you nothing, you never loaned me the money. Yeah, you loaned me, I paid you back some, you have some patience. Uh, and that was the question. Okay, new Mishnah, and again, that's a whole complex sugya of a whole Gemara about when people admit part of the claim, what is the court to do with it? Uh, but if somebody admits something that they didn't have to, and it clearly indicates that they're a truthful person, then we do tend to believe people, and that goes back to the old Pesha Aser, uh, the mouth that uh, he forbids something, we per- believe him to permit it. And we'll see more of those cases. New case. Um, what happens if um, somebody comes with a ksuvo or another document and uh, we don't know the witness? Signed, John Hancock is signed over there. <laughs> somebody said, I, I remember once somebody said, sign your John Hancock. So they wrote John Hancock. They didn't sign their name. You know, that, that used to be an expression that means like sign your name. So somebody's, uh, there's witnesses' names. So typically what the court does is say, bring us these witnesses, and then they show it to the person and say, is this your signature? So witnesses come forward and they say, yeah, that looks like our signature. But the guy was twisting our arm. When we signed, we were below the age of consent. We were kids. Or psule edis we were gamblers. Uh, we were people that uh, did gambling, and gamblers are not believed. Gamblers are famous. Rashi says uh, there's two cases of psule edis. One uh, Rashi four lines from the top, krovim either relatives or they were misakim mekubia. They did the dice. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, if in a wedding, if you're asked to be witnesses, that's considered an honor. That means that they believe that you were somebody who's who would be believed in a court of law, uh, people that do shady practices lose their reliability. So they always say, if you're called to be a witness, 
and a wedding, you should have in mind that in case you did something shady, that you apologize to Hashem and you do tshuva, so you don't mess up the wedding for them. And so it's like a quick tshuva, but it would work. So, um, but uh, these witnesses come and say, yeah, that was our signature, but we, at that time, we used to go to the horse races, we were doing shady business, so uh, it's not a good signature. But the, those two cases are not exactly the same, because Grovim, they're puzzled, but they're innocent. But, but, but by <laughs> somebody who says, oh, I'm a, I'm a gambler, <laughs> don't we say, ain't of them Russia? Yeah, yeah, it's coming up. It's coming up, that, oh, that okay. question. Right. So, um, so we're saying they're believed. These are witnesses, and they say, well, this is our signature. First of all, they could have denied the signature. They said, no, it's our signature, but when we signed, we were invalid for a certain reason. Um, what happens? Uh, in those days, they didn't always want to chase people for a signature. The court would have them sign a piece of paper to show what their signature looked like. So you could, or you'd have another document that they signed. They'd have certain people that... Um, in, in the old days, they used to have, there was a traveling rabbi that came by and wrote divorces. Uh, that's Rabbi Greenblatter, blessed memory. Uh, um, and he would need w witnesses to sign the divorces. And there were always certain people in the shul who were available, who, or they would ask. Um, there was a certain time where they would try to catch me in the office to, to be a witness on those papers. So sometimes you'll have a witness and you'll say, well, who is this? But you can look in the other divorce papers and see that same, for years, Fred Glussman was always one of the signers because he was the shul, uh, he was always in the shul. So you, if you don't need the person to testify that they signed it because you can compare it to another signature because you have another document. So, and then the person comes and says, well, when I signed it, I was coerced, I was this, I was that. So in that case, we don't believe them because we have an independent way to verify. We have witnesses that say, yes, I saw him sign. Oh, that's his signature. Or we have another document with that signature, and that other document has been approved, so then they're not believed. We assume that a document was done correctly. We don't like to challenge something that was done in a court of law and say, well, the court did it, but the, witness, the court didn't know the witnesses were no good. We normally would assume it's good, uh, and so uh, the only thing is, here we didn't know the, the witnesses, so we, we have to believe them because of Pesha Usser. They told us it was their signature, so we believe them there's a problem. But if we don't need them that it's their signature, then we don't believe them there's a problem. Let's see the Gemara. That's, we believe them if they say um, uh, the reason the signature is no good was somebody paid us to sign it. We were bribed. So then we say, wait a second, you guys aren't trustworthy, your signature is not trustworthy. But if they say that they were believed because they were threatened to be killed, so they're really good guys. They just, uh, they didn't want to give up their life, they had no choice. So then they would be believed. Omale Rava, Rava has the question, um, uh, Rabbi has a question, Kol Kamina, why can somebody uh, first testify something and then pull it back? We have a famous rule. Once you tell us something, there's no backseas, there's no walking back your comments. There's no saying, I signed it, but I was only kidding. 
I signed it, but I was a false witness then. We have a famous rule. We don't let you speak twice. We don't let you change your words. Maybe that's when you say something. But maybe when you do a document that's different, when you sign something, that's like you're testifying in court. Where do we say it on the first case? We said that the witnesses are believed to say when we didn't know it was their signature. Then we had no idea this was a valid document. And they said, well, it was, it was a valid, uh, we did sign it, but we were forced. We only believe them uh, if they were forced, it was life and death, the mafia. But if they said uh, we were bribed or we had no choice because we were paid or we would take a loss, then they're not believed. My time, and this had to do with what Dr. Yafi said, what do you mean? You signed falsely because you were bribed? <laughs> we believe you that you're not believable. <laughs> we, in other words, we're, you're saying, I signed it, but I'm a liar. <laughs> so if we believe you that we can't believe you, then we can't believe you. <laughs> that person isn't believed to testify that they're not believable. You're not believed to say, Basically, we like to believe court documents. We like to have faith that the original documents that were done in a court of law, we don't tend to discount them just like that. Um, and uh, you, the, if we didn't know they were court documents and you testified they were, that they were legit, but you said there was a problem, we would believe you. But if the problem is that you were not reliable, so how do we know you're reliable now? You're not really believed to say that you're uh, a Russian. And that's a a long-standing concept. Um, so there's a lot of interesting discussions on that concept. You can't discount your signature. Ramir says, if you signed it, you can't back down and say, well, there was a problem. They say, no, you are believed. We know why the Rabbanin believe you. The same mouth that forbid it is the mouth that permits it meaning that we didn't know it was your signature. And so you came and said it was your signature. So you, the same mouth that told us there, that it might be good, now tells us, but it was forced. It was coerced. It was, uh, it was written when I was a minor. So that's why we believe, well, that's the reason we believe you. El Remeir, but Remeir said it's no good. Why? My, uh, my time. If you want to say the witnesses weren't good, Malvagufa made it umachtem. Uh, if I'm going to loan you money, I'm not going to get witnesses that are kids. I'm not going to call the kid over who might not be bar mitzvah and ask him to sign. It's not very smart of me to pay to get a scribe and a witness. Uh, it's a, a person is going to typically get witnesses that are kosher. I'm going to ask him, uh, oh, this guy's my brother. Am I allowed? He's a relative. A relative can't sign. So... Um, uh, what about the fact that people didn't know people's birthdays and maybe the person looked older than they were? That was not that common that a person who was still a minor would be called to testify. Um, typically that was done. So now we're getting into the issue of witnesses that validate the signature but then claim there was a problem. So do we believe him on the problem, or are we skeptical about the problem? Again, that's a whole, whole issue, dinimominous issue, that we um, 
ksuvas that, that's going to come up on the ksuva, where the the woman brings a document that says she's entitled to full ksuva, and the husband says, wait a second, who are those signatures? <clears throat> uh, people a lot of times look back at their wedding documents, and they look at the signatures and say, who is that? <laughs> or they don't remember that person was there, or the... Um, uh, but uh, that's the the question is validating old documents with witnesses, uh, and that's what will happen. Is you know many years later when the husband dies and they want to testify, can they find the witnesses? Can they prove the witnesses were good? And so that's how we jumped into this discussion. Okay, have a great day. Hope to be back in Atlanta later today. Mitzvah